Hey, everybody, before we go into this episode, I wanted to give a quick announcement of who won Royce Bear's ebook. I want to thank everybody who went in and reviewed and gave us a good rating. I mean, we only really asked that you reviewed us and rated us and gave us feedback, but all of you across the board gave us positive feedback, positive rating. Thank you so much. I'm glad. We are totally stoked that you guys are enjoying this. I know I say stoked a lot. I am so happy that you enjoyed this. We're so very delighted. What else can I say besides stoked? I'm just stoked that you guys enjoy the podcast and are following along with the adventures and really enjoying the content. And Brendan and I are just excited to keep giving you and bringing you guys more and more stories. We love it. And so let's get to the announcement of who won it, and then we'll get right into the podcast, episode 21. I don't have Brendan here with me. Last night we were coming back from our trip in Yosemite and I couldn't add this into the podcast well. I could use our lapel mic, but I wasn't excited about that in the car and the noise that we had, so we wanted to wait until this morning to do it. But Brendan's not here, unfortunately. I want to release this podcast and get this announcement out there. So sorry, Brendan, you're not here to give us the... That's really terrible. Maybe I can play an old Brendan clip and have him be in here for the announcement trumpet. I think I'll try that. And the winner of the ebook is Josh Latham. Many of you already know Josh Latham. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, reviewing us, and getting out there and putting it up so that we can hopefully gain more listeners who see your feedback, see that you guys are enjoying it, and decide to take the plunge and join the Photog Adventures Podcast Listeners Group. If any of you are bummed that you didn't win this ebook, don't worry. I have one more to give away. We'll give it away during the month of March on another contest. So stay tuned. All right, so let's go ahead and jump back into the podcast. We're going to be interviewing Briny Richards. Oh, oh, and also real quick, let me mention, we're going to be in a small room with Briny at a library, and it's a little bit echoey, and it's a little bit loud for us to talk on our normal voices and not, you know, disrupt everyone else in the library. So Briny and I have a much more mellow tone this episode. Briny has had some amazing experiences, and you're really going to like this. So let me just shut up and get out of the way, and here's the podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventure. Podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your cameras. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 21. Today we have a guest. Her name is Briny Richards and she is a research scientist and an astrophotographer enthusiast. She's got some amazing pictures and uh, so we're going to ask her a little bit about her background and just uh, get to know her a little bit better. And You have a crazy interesting background, so we definitely want to hear everything that you can tell us about that. Yeah, so, so my name's Bryony Richards, or Dr. Bryony Richards, which is very That's exciting. Awesome. Um, the doctor bit not being for astrophotography, but for, but for geology and radiochemistry. So radiochemistry being the radioactive part of chemistry. I was born just outside London, near Oxford, in the farmlands in England, um, Grew up there for most of my life, um, that and around Europe also. Uh, Moved to London after studying at a university called Durham in the north of England. Uh, Got my PhD just before I was 26, I think. Um, And that was in New Zealand and in London. Then I decided I should really go and see Africa. 
<laughs> so <laughs> during my PhD, I went and spent some time in Malawi and Zambia. When you decided to go to Africa, did you do it for your research or did you do it for the love of just wildlife and wild country? Um, I'd always wanted to go to Africa. Mm. And um, so I was sort of in the latter stages of my PhD. It was about 2008. So I had a couple more years, okay. actually. And it prolonged my PhD a little bit longer <laughs> just because I got horribly bad malaria. Oh, no. Really bad malaria. Um, <laughs> oh. And spent quite a lot of time, about a year recovering from that. Oh. So that was great fun. So if you're in Africa, wear long sleeve shirts and use DEET. <laughs> Um, oh but it didn't put me off Africa, so I went back a couple of years later to carry on studying for a postdoc and ended up at the University of Johannesburg uh, in South Africa. And that's where most of my accent comes from, and then a little bit New Zealand from my PhD, and also Britain. So at the University of Johannesburg, I was really close to animals and sort of nature, so I started taking photos of elephant and lion and mm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Not really stars yet. Um, but a lot of landscapes. Um, Johannesburg started to get really dangerous um, oh, a couple of years later. A lot of people were getting hijacked. And oh. so I decided to move to Windhoek, which is the capital city of Namibia. And then I went into industry and worked looking for copper on the Angolan border, oh. which is pretty exciting, apart from landmines and those kind of things, <laughs> yeah. which are fairly prevalent in the north of the country. <laughs> wow. Um, when you say looking for copper, how did you do it? What did you do to look for copper? So you actually analyze the rocks on the surface or the soils to try and find out where the copper is subsurface. So telltale mm. signs on the surface mm -hmm. of what could be growing underneath or the ore yeah. that's yeah. deposited underneath. Oh, awesome. Yeah, Did so. you have any special instrumentation mm -hmm. besides that to search yeah, for? Yeah, so I'm an analytical geochemist by training. So I, I'm used to using the chemistry of rocks to try and find minerals, which minerals are made up of chemical elements. Right. And, um, and so with copper, we were looking for something called redox elements. So things like lead, uranium, uh, molybdenum, nickel, that kind of stuff. So would you scan the area with the equipment and yep. analyze it after that? Yeah, so you actually get handheld devices that look kind of like a tricorder from mm. Star, Star Trek. They were actually mm -hmm. developed because of that. <laughs> wow. And you scan the rock using x-rays, and with the signature of x-rays, you can work out what mineral it is. Well, that's nice. awesome. Now, so. I know very little about molybdenum, the molybdenum, but I can't say that the other minerals are tough to come by. So I guess it's just a matter of how much and how... Mm -hmm. And how they relate together, so a signature. Oh, okay. Mm. Gotcha. So a lot of work that geochemists do is working out signatures, which okay. is kind of like camera settings anyway. So we always work out signatures for our camera settings. So everything I do is actually very similar. <laughs> <laughs> so was it, a, did it involve a lot of false hits or was it something that once you found the right signature, you were pretty positive and they could dig, you know, how many meters before they get to the copper ore? Um, it depends. Uh, a lot of the time you can, you get small traces a lot of the time. Mm. Um, and then some larger deposits are sometimes found. Okay. I actually can't tell you much because I was bound by confidentiality. <laughs> oh, fair enough. So, <laughs> Understandable. Yeah, so most of the work I do is under confidentiality <laughs> unless we release papers on it. So okay. some of the work, a lot of the work we do, we release publications and then we can talk about it. Gotcha. Cool. But not in industry, sadly. Well, no, but that's really cool. Yeah. The only yeah, copper really miners good. I know go to houses and steal their copper wire from their house. Yep. And the really giant mine, Kinnacott. <laughs> right. Biggest hole on earth. 
Is it really? Well, it goes between one and two. There's a competing mine in China. Oh, I right. no did yeah. have that honor. Yeah. It's funny because people say you can always see it from space. Well, right. you, you can see a car from <laughs> space. So yeah. If you've not paid attention yeah, to Google Earth. Not exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think it depends on how far in space you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how big your telescope is back. Yeah. So after searching for copper, is it Namibia only that you search for copper? You yep. got back into your PhD? No, no, I'd already finished a PhD finished by then. So, so before Namibia, when I lived in Johannesburg, I went to study for my postdoctoral degree. So oh. people think that once you've got a doctorate, you stop. Not true. You mm. still have to do more. You're postdoc. And your so. postdoc is required or is it just something you go it's, for extra letters? It's pretty required if you're going to go into academia. So I see. I wanted to carry on in research, um, even though I took a stint out and went to industry afterwards. So I worked with De Beers looking for diamonds. Oh, wow, cool. So that's what I did in South Africa um, and then taught at the university and things. So it's kind of a strange sort of time. You're a student and you're a lecturer and you're kind of just a mix of everything. Mm. All right. So, but it was good. It was nice. I miss Johannesburg more than anywhere else. Mm. Now, Johannesburg, I figure there's plenty of populated areas that the light pollution is terrible, but there's also probably huge swaths of land that mm -hmm. are just black. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Africa, there's actually got the um, the Meerkat Array, the telescope, is in the middle of the Karoo oh. Basin. So yeah. right in the middle of South Africa, there's the sort of Karoo Basin oh. takes up most of South Africa. And it's relatively uninhabited, mostly cattle farming and a little bit of sort of crop farming. But that's about oh, it. cool. Mm. Yeah. And that southern hemisphere, I've never seen it myself. I've never seen the large and small Magellanic cloud. I haven't seen the Milky Way core at the large opening. I've only seen, mm -hmm. you know, the part that we get on yep. our horizon mm -hmm. that barely peeks over the edge. Yeah. It looks to me, what we see here is backwards to me. Oh, really? So, oh. <laughs> so when I see photos that people have taken from the southern hemisphere, that's where I'm kind of at home. Because oh, right. the majority of me staring at dark skies was done in the southern hemisphere. So I'm kind of readjusting. Even though I didn't photograph it, we always sort of laid under the stars in South Africa. It. Yeah. Because you, know, you don't have TV or radio or anything. <laughs> so everybody just goes and camps. That so. would be bizarre. I always figured I could see more of the core, but I didn't think about it possibly being flipped upside down it's kind of reversed is it yeah so if you if you think of sort of the dust channels where you get the sort of that horizontal v shape in yes. the dust, dust lanes mm -hmm. that's just flipped left right and so it's so bizarre probably wow. the first time you see it, you're like wait a second something yep. is up yeah when i first took hmm. photos about a year and a half ago of the sky i was like wait something's wrong what am i doing <laughs> is it the camera that's reversed it it took me a long time to realize it only oh. takes a few seconds to think about it and you realize of course yeah. But you just don't think about it without yeah. putting a little more thought. Because, of course, you're following the gravity of the Earth. And so you're turning when you stand on the bottom of the, or the, that side of the Earth. Yeah. You're completely standing in a different direction than you're standing up here. Yes. Wow. So what your up is is a completely different up. Interesting. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Is there a place that you go regularly to go see it that's a cheap flight? Or is it something that's just an expensive cost to go see that southern hemisphere? Uh no, um, so you can fly. There are pretty cheap flights at the moment to South Africa if you fly South African Airways. Okay. Um, Is it I, safe yet? I would not advise people to fly into Johannesburg and Rats. go touristing. Um, <laughs> Namibia, yes. Okay. So my top destination in Namibia would be a place called Sousa's Fly. Sousa's Fly. Yeah, which means basically deadpan. It's a, <laughs> just a desert with a lot of very cool trees. Well, cool. And the skies are completely dark. I think I've seen YouTube videos of Milky Way time lapses there with those cool trees. They look yep. like little succulents on branches. 
Oh no, these ones are just the dead ones. That's probably oh I'm the not dead, sure like bristlecone pine looking dead, no, or just like plain, just really boring <laughs> two stick trees. They they're like really dead. That's it's really boring. Really really dead. <laughs> I once went there when there was a flood, and within hours you got hundreds of flowers growing. That's cool. And it's because the it hadn't seen water in twenty years. And they're all they're just sitting there dormant, and seeds are waiting. And wow. But the skies are always clear because it doesn't rain. So you always get dark, clear skies. Oh, man. Okay. Cool. So then after Namibia, where did your life take you? To here, to the U.S. Straight to the U.S. Now, yeah. why Utah? Why the U.S.? My job to Utah. That's why I got to the University of Utah. So you got picked um, up. Yeah. So then so. when you think about Namibia skies, you probably felt, oh, oh crap, I'm going to America. There's going to be a ton of light pollution. Then you come mm-hmm. to Utah and find out there's a ton of awesome locations to go. Well, actually, I hadn't ever taken a night photo by the even, time I got to the U.S. So you hadn't fallen in love mm-hmm. with it in Namibia even. No. I just looked at the stars. So it was about a year and a half ago. I had really bad insomnia. Really bad. (laughs) And... um, Ash photography is a good solution. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I'd always taken photos of of elephants. So I just knew fast, well, relatively fast moving animal photography. So (laughs) I got really bored and I thought, well, it's still snowy out. I'll drive up to Alta because the road was clear. And Mm. at that point, I lived near Alta. Okay. And I was sort of staring out and I could see sort of a rough, what I thought was a cloud. And so I set up my camera on a tripod and thought, well, I'll just do a long exposure. And this was with a lens that wasn't an astro lens. <laughs> it was a zoom lens, a 24 to 105 lens. Mm-hmm. F4? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think <laughs> F3.5, really okay. high. And I thought, well, I'll just do a 30 second exposure and I'll just see what comes out because I want to see what this cloud is. It's really weird. Yeah. Took the photo and realized I'd taken a photo of the Milky Way. And it was, <laughs> it was a terrible photo, but I could see the stars. And I, I was just unbelievably shocked i was just <laughs> i'd never seen astro photos really i didn't know you could take them with a rel- relatively inexpensive camera mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so i just got really hooked after that and at that time even a year and a half ago people weren't posting their settings on the internet at all they weren't i didn't pay attention to that but they no weren't. it's only it's only relatively recently and it's part of the reason why i always post what settings I've used mm-hmm. to try and make it a little bit less intimidating. Right. So then sort of every time I had insomnia, I worked, I sort of then read a little bit more and worked out, well, it was a good night, even though I had a terrible lens to do, <laughs> to do photography with because it was new moon, no moon oh, at all. Yeah. And because um, Devil's Castle actually blocks a lot of the light pollution mm. as does some of the other mountains at Outer. So it blocks the light pollution from Park City. So I just lucked out. <laughs> and it was a clear sky. So I'm not sure I ever would have got into astrophotography had it not just been for that random night of insomnia. Interesting. Right. So that was about a year and a half ago. So now I sort of, wherever I go, I kind of want <laughs> to take an astro photo. And because I'm a geologist, that's why a lot of my photos have rocks in the foreground. Mm. So I'm obsessed with sort of landscape astrophotography. Mm-hmm. I hear you. So you've got some terrestrial element. Otherwise, you've just got a sky without any scale. Oh, yeah. A lot of your shots, I noticed that your landscapes are very well lit. And so I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you try to time yours around a moon or a long exposure, what do you do? So almost all of my photos are single exposures. I don't do composites where you I take don't. foreground. Nope. So they're just a single exposure. I tend to use a high ISO. So um, I do now, I do 6400. I used to do 3200. Mm-hmm. And then I do 20 or 25 seconds, sometimes as low as 12 seconds. So Depending star trailing, are you concerned about star trailing or just trying to get that bright sky? I think once you do show. a really large panorama, 
So mm. once you're stitching more than about six photos, east to west or wherever you're going, it really, I mean, you've got to blow that up to billboard size <laughs> before you notice a star trail. <laughs> right. And even so, a slight star trail really doesn't bother me. So mm. the Milky Way is so bright and it's going to draw your eye so much mm -hmm. that if you keep it under 20 seconds, your star trails are going to be so minimal. It, I, it doesn't worry me. That being said, I did buy a sky tracker recently. So, oh, yeah. So this year I'm going to... I'm going to sort of do three minute exposures on the Milky Way. Well, I want to go into a few more questions of that, but let's go ahead and take our first break and then we'll come back talking to Brian. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. We're talking with Bryony Richards, an amazing astrophotographer and a research scientist in the, you said chemical radiation, radiation. So radiochemistry and geology. That's Radi what my sort of expertise is in. And actually image analysis. So instead of doing Milky Way stuff, I do imaging down to a nanoscale. So mm. the opposite scale. Wow. And it's... Yeah. So a lot of photography. <laughs> That's cool. So talking about the specifics of going to that scale, you're thinking of going in, you're going to get a sky tracker. You're going to try and get a more, you want more clarity in your shot of the Milky Way or do you want more of the detail of the core to come through? More of the detail. I think even with just single exposures, the clarity can be really good. Mm -hmm. You can get a really noise-free image, especially with the big sort of, the, the large sensors in cameras now. And yeah. if you don't use a crop sensor, they're still fine. But if you use a full sensor and you've got a decent amount of time, so between 16 and 25 seconds, clarity is really not an issue. can be on the foreground, but mm, you can right. sort of use smoothing in Lightroom and things, and that helps with that. Um, what I'm looking for is the detail, the real colors of the nebula that you mm. can get within the Milky Way. Yes. So things like um, Cat's Paw Nebula, which is pretty much only visible in the summer, just above the horizon, and it literally looks like a cat's paw, Ooh. with the pad and three sort of toes. How far away is it from the core? Are we talking it's ever near the core, or it's it's usually on the horizon only? You're saying? Yeah. So it's in the summer where you get the core sort of going up vertically. Okay. Um, it'll be on the horizon normally, Ooh. and it's pink, and it's pink because of ionizing hydrogen. Oh, I think That's I've seen that in some of my pictures. Yep. And you may have seen Lagoon Nebula, which oh. also kind of looks like... That's sort of more in the center of the core is Lagoon. Yeah. And Lagoon is like... As far as I know, it's ionizing hydrogen, but it's also sort of got a bluish tint, which is young stars. Mm. Oh, so cool. I think few people realize why the colors of the Milky Way are, are why they are. Mm. So you get the yellow for the old stars. So a lot of the core being sort of this deep yellow is because the stars are dying. Which the stars is in sad. the center are older and dying. Yeah. And then blue stars, the young stars, and pink is the ionizing hydrogen clouds. Mm. Oh, so that's awesome. why a lot of the nebula are sort of this pinky hues surrounding a them. A nursery for new stars. Yep. When I'm dodging and burning my Milky Way, mm -hmm. I see a little red in the center or towards the core. And so that's probably what I'm seeing is lagoon. Yeah, it's mm. within a big dust channel. So okay. any of the sort of the negative space of the Milky Way is something called a dust channel. Yeah. And that's sort of the darker areas. Scientists aren't very sure what those are still. <laughs> They're kind of this sort of mystery thing in space, as far as I know. They know it's blocking light, or they know that it's that color. Or it's just void. Right. Void of anything, really. So it's it's kind of interesting. And those dust lanes, you can get immense clarity. I've got one sort of panorama from the Channel Islands of California. Also an amazing place close to us cool. to take Gotta night photos. That. That's a really cool place to go. Channel Island um, is where in California? Because I want to go now. So it's off the coast of Ventura. 
Okay. So you have to get a permit to camp and oh, really? you get a boat ride out. Okay. There is nothing on most of the islands. So I've been to hmm. Santa Rosa and spent sort of almost a week there. And um, you have to hike everything in that you're going to take. You get a shelter, so kind of a shelter, a wall. So you want to take a tent a and all your food. And obviously I took a lot of camera equipment, um, which is really sensible, hiking that in. Um, and then <laughs> of course. You, you get on a boat, go the sort of hour and a half out to the Channel Islands, and there's very little light pollution. That's wow. awesome. So a lot of the sort of really clear Milky Way photos that I've got this past six months have been from the Channel Islands. Are you able to get a Milky Way in the beginning of the summer when it's at a 45 degree angle oh, yeah. towards the east? Because yeah. I'm thinking you're looking back towards California's light pollution. You may find that a lot of it's blocked. Oh. And you're also, sort of the water, I think, allows sort of a barrier to form, maybe because of humidity. But I'm not sure, so don't quote me on that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I would probably wait until later in the summer. And you also want the temperatures to be nice. And the Channel Islands, I think, open a little bit later as well. Okay. So you really want to aim for sort of the summer. All right. And, yeah, take a lot of bug spray. Okay. <laughs> wow. That sounds yeah. like an awesome photog adventure. Yeah. Oh, that would be a really cool place to go. Santa Rosa. There's like There are very few people on the... And they've got this amazing little flower called a, um, a munchkin <laughs> something. And it, it looks like it's got crystals all over it. Oh, it's got like the really? most adorable name ever. <laughs> Munchkin Dudlia. That's right. The Munchkin Dudlia. Yeah, I think that's it. And it's wow. so cute. Um, I don't like plants, lens. but yeah, that one's like the lens. one plant I can identify. <laughs> <laughs> it's still probably wrong. <laughs> so, um, Someone right now is screaming at their radio thinking, yeah, that's, it's not, that's not a Dudlia. Dudlia is really ugly. Um, but the Channel Islands are an amazing place to go take night photos. Um, I have never heard their name before. It's a, it's a national park, but it's one of the least visited. Oh, I wow. I would mm. say that while you're taking night photos, there's um, there are a couple of really interesting animals on the island. <laughs> a lot of pygmy species of animals. Mm, so really? I kept seeing, I was sort of using my headlamp and on the red light mode and sort of looking around me to check. I'm understandably from Africa, quite wary of lion being around me. So mm. I like to check yeah. what's around me at night. <laughs> um, and I kept seeing these little eyes. And after a while, I realized that they were foxes and oh. also they were pygmy skunks. Pygmy skunks? Yeah. So How big are we talking here? Like really small, sort really? of maybe a foot long with their tail. And they're wow, spotted. Adorable. Spotted. <laughs> they're so cute. And they have no fear because no one goes out right. at night on the like Channel them. Islands. So they will come right up to you and it's a skunk. And there are no showers on the island. So you do not want to get sprayed by it. So just skunk. feed them and be gentle. <laughs> no, no feeding them. You just, I stood very still and they just came to say hi and then followed me for a while and that kind of thing. And then they sort of left. But a they, they run all right up to you nice <laughs> round your feet oh and the my foxes God. are very cute as well so i gotta figure out a way to do that with you go on a photo adventure and then find a way to get you sprayed with the pygmy skunk no because <laughs> that would be a great story that we I'm pretty sure it might work either way around <laughs> either way we're gonna be in trouble yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm not sure i think they're so not afraid of humans i think it would take quite a lot to sort of scare them <laughs> but mm. i didn't want to try it they, you didn't want to find were, that threshold yeah they were very they almost looked cuddly but i didn't want to pick them up <laughs> and i bet the foxes learned a long time ago not to mess with them too oh yeah but all the animals kind of get on there's no right. there are no predators so they just kind of all chill out together it's kind nice. of odd 
an interesting place I've never heard of until now. Yeah, and then there's a beach sort of on one of the islands where I was walking up to this beach and there was just red all across the beach. It was these crayfish crabs that there were that many thousands on the beach and they just seemed to beach themselves and die which is really odd they weren't just hanging out no 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 no, just a whole beach of dead like (laughs) and dying crabs and weird things and of course no one else is on the beach so it's just kind of like right this is really odd (laughs) oh wow so it's yeah it's a strange place i wonder if any of the wildlife eat them oh they do like the seagulls come and get them but there are so many thousands (laughs) they can't possibly (laughs) all you can eat seagull buffet of strange crabs seagulls there. Weird. <laughs> but it's the coolest place to go and really good for night photos. So. Hmm. Well, that is awesome. Summertime, Channel Islands, go there for night photography. You mm-hmm. had to pay to get a boat to take you out there or pay to enter, you said? You have to get a permit. A permit. Um, and the permits are from the, the National Park website. Okay. Um, they're really cheap. And the boat ride, I think, is 100 bucks return or something. And it's a bit higher than I thought. Yeah. It's, it's higher, but they do but like a sightseeing thing on the way back oh, so they okay. take you around the islands and they do a talky talky thing and it's <laughs> oh. actually very limited to how many people like mm. at any one time there are even during the day you can go as a day tourist and have a couple of hours and i think even sort of at night and during the day it's less than 30 people on the island it's mm. and they're big islands that so. is really and this cool. is how gilligan's island got started See, so you got to be careful when you go on this tour. <laughs> yeah, you hope the boat's going to pick you up. Otherwise, yeah. you're They stuck. said it was a three-hour tour, but we really know what happened. So. Now our over 40 <laughs> listeners are laughing really hard because <laughs> they remember the theme song, and I can't. I don't. Are they going on a tour? Oh, a three-hour three tour. tour. I remember that now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> is the permit something that is a waiting list, or is it just come and buy, and then you can go? Um, I think at times it gets really busy. Mm, okay. Um, we lucked out when we went and there there weren't any there wasn't anyone waiting so we mm. just were able to get permits during the weekend it's probably difficult mm. um i took time off work and went on my vacation time and then that was much easier to go midweek and it was quieter with less tourists yeah exactly yeah, yeah. I, i'd rather go then too oh, just yeah. because it's it's amazing i mean it's got ancient bristle cones and all this kind of thing on there as well so nice. i was just gonna ask you what's your foreground element other than just island and water but it's beaches, bristle cone pines um beaches bristle cones although not so much there i went out to um national basin great i think mm. that's a great basin the great it's basin in nevada park, isn't it yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. that's Close to close to Salt Lake, that's probably my best place to go. Mm. Would be there. Although then at night you've got to worry about bears and things, so do not go alone. Um, it's not a cute pygmy skunk this time. Yeah, yeah, the grizzly yeah. bears probably aren't so happy. Um, <laughs> but that's a really nice place to go. That's close and with relatively few people, mm-hmm. especially at night. Well, the great part about Great Basin, I hear, is that you can drive right up to 10,000 feet just yep. because they have a paved road that takes yeah. you to the top. Yeah, yeah. we've got to go there. And that's, I've got a couple of panoramas overlooking that, but it kind of gets lost. My favorite place is, um, it's got one of the only glaciers in North America called Wheeler Glacier. Wheeler Glacier? Mm-hmm. Yep. Where's that at? It's at the base of Wheeler, uh, Wheeler Peak in Great Basin. Oh, oh okay. Oh, so you can hike okay. there. And it's not a long hike. And then you can get the Milky Way over the glacier. Oh, that oh, sounds awesome. Nice. And go on New Moon yeah. and just hope it's a clear night. Right. If you luck out, then you get really lucky Oh, there. man. Yep. Brendan's seen me basically cry the whole drive down to southern Utah when we're planning that weekend. We've been going, <laughs> and then I can just see clouds everywhere, and they're on the horizon. And I'm just moaning and crying and just constantly murmuring. 
leaving because I'm yep. so frustrated. That was, that was my week in Glacier National Park. So <laughs> <laughs> every weather apart from sunshine, I think. It was um, it was brutal. I got no night photos. Oh, man. None mm, whatsoever, skunked. even though it was, you know, these the most incredible hikes. And I, I mean, I've, I've trained sort of for mountain climbing for a long time, especially in New Zealand when I was doing my mm-hmm. PhD. Those mountains, I did six months training for <laughs> some of those field seasons. Glacier was harder. It was really? so much harder. Really? I felt like such a wuss. Yeah, I <laughs> oh, really no. did. It was, yeah. So I can't go there pretty much. It's worth it's worth going to kind of, I I had my ego put in check, I think, for, mm. for hiking and Were things at Glacier. Were you rushing it maybe? Nope, I was just maybe unfit. <laughs> but, or just thought it was going to be easier. I think you get into this sort of false sense of security when it's a national park because oh, yeah. so much oh, yeah. of it's paved. And then you're like, oh, the hikes will be easy. And granted, <laughs> most of them are. Some of them are not. And mm. there are a lot of bears mm. at Glacier. <laughs> a lot. What do you do with a bear? Do you curl up in a ball like they joke? Yeah. Yeah, I think you put your back to them so that you want to make sure you're jugular and arteries and things are not near them or as many people do carry a bell called a bear bell which is Mm. the most useless thing i think i've (laughs) ever seen in my life dinner it's very annoying for any other hikers (laughs) you can just hear these people with a bell um and you put these on your backpack it's meant to alert the bears that you're in the area so they don't mind when they see you what about just playing loud music on your hit sticks together or talk or just go snipe hunting is, mm. Yeah, and carry bear spray. <laughs> there was one woman who told me that, you know, her bear bell, you know, she'd seen a bear, but it was okay because it heard the bell before her. <laughs> I was like, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, don't test that theory. Yeah. <laughs> Unless so. he's hungry and then, yeah. I don't think a bell's going to dissuade them from eating you. <laughs> mm. I think it's difficult if you're hiking to sort of remote areas and that's pretty much what i like to do with astrophotography is mm, yeah. to hike to places where people have never seen astrophotos mm, mm-hmm. so i always have this sort of bucket list at the start of the year where i'm going the next year to take my astrophotos for the year so well now that you said that i have to ask what's the top three in your bucket list top three so i've been able to take a photo of the northern lights with the milky way once so oh. that's on one of my top things. So. so you've done it already in the Southern Hemisphere or the Northern? In the Northern Hemisphere, in Yellowstone. Okay. Mm. In Yellowstone? It Yellow- happened low enough on yep. the... Oh, wow. yeah. That's, Lucky. It's actually pretty good for Northern Lights. If you go around the sort of the fall equinox, so September 21st to 23rd, oh, okay. you're more mm. likely to see the Northern on Lights. On the equinox. Now, you... <laughs> I think I've seen that picture on Instagram where you were over the... Um, what's the colorful pools there? Oh, Abyss Geyser. That was that one. That yeah. was underneath the Abyss Geyser so, when you had the Northern yeah, Lights? so that's like... If you're going to go to Yellowstone, everybody goes to Grand Prismatic, but the right. best exactly. part is West Thumb Geyser Basin. That's, West Thumb Geyser. Yep. Mm. Geyser Basin. Why yeah. do you say it's the best? It's got the most sort of discrete sort of small colorful pools that no one really goes and sees and it's right by the lake so you have these this beautiful lake with these amazingly colored geyser pools just dotted really close to it oh that's awesome and it's perfect for milky way photos so the travertine which is the sort of the build up from bacteria of sort of rock so um travertine is sort of calcium mostly and, and magnesium and some other things but you get this sort of like uh, zigzag sort of stair step level oh, you cool. see it quite often um, around the edges of the geysers 
if you can get a photo with that in the foreground, you'll get the light bouncing off the travertine. Mm. And with the colorful bacteria, you'll get loads of different colors in it. Are there so, any nice. luminescence and any of the bioluminescence? No. no. They, they're sort of thermophilic bacteria, so they like the really hot water. Okay. So they're different colors based on that, I think. Mm -hmm. So that you get these beautiful, in guys, you get these beautiful golden to green to yellow to red to pink colors coming through. And so the starlight becomes just sort of glittery on the on the outside of the guys. <sighs> wow. How do you make sure you capture that without the light? Did you have to light paint no, or did you just no, long no. exposure? It, it was, I think I did a 20-second exposure. And it all came through. Yep. Oh. Wow. That's easily on my bucket list top five now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, that was the photo that got me really hooked. <laughs> wow. Like I went to, it was a couple of months after my wonderful bout of insomnia that I decided to go to Yellowstone and try and take a photo. Mm. And so I'd seen sort of photos from someone in the past um, and I'd heard that they'd spent four months editing the photos that they'd taken, what? these astro photos, four oh, months. Nuts. And I was like, no, that's wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not a photo anymore. It's beautiful art, but it's not a photo. Right. To me, a photo is something that you don't need to edit that much. Just right. bring out what your eyes saw and yeah. fix the raw file. So mm -hmm. there's sort of a someone estimated that to get your digital photo back to a film photo, it takes seven digital filters. So that's kind of what I work on. What do you mean by seven digital filters? So seven sort of layers of whatever you're changing in Lightroom. So contrast oh. or exposure or chromatic aberration corrections, that kind of thing. So, so seven steps or sliders that you have yeah. modified in Lightroom and you've gotten it back to film. Yeah, okay. essentially, yeah. And that's always the goal, I think. Film was so much more... It, it, represented what you could see much more and that's i think with astrophotography you sort of when you go out and take an astro photo spend 20 minutes not doing anything let your eyes really adjust mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then only use red lights red light headlamp whatever you're using um, and then you really get a sense for what you're going to take a photo of i think right. people sort of blindly go into it and just take a photo and it's really magical i mean all of a sudden you see something on the screen that you can't necessarily see right yeah but you can sometimes if you just sit there and it wait. It is magical. Oh, my gosh. I, that's how it was. I mean, that's I'm, how our first experience was because we've been related by through marriage for like 13 years. We're not married to each not other. <laughs> the way he phrased that sounded interesting. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let me rephrase that then. Yeah, please. But I'm keeping it in the yeah. podcast because it's classic. That's awesome. <laughs> So I saw pictures of Aaron at my wedding, didn't even realize he was at my wedding until we started hanging out and taking pictures. And it was at that moment when we were freezing our buns off at Strawberry Reservoir. It was 10 degrees outside. And I left the car running the entire time so we could hop back in a moment and get warm. Cowards. And uh, I think I almost got frostbite on my toes. Like they were just literally it. freezing. <laughs> I think that's one thing that I think few people remember. Even in the summer, it gets really cold at night. Yeah. Don't pack ski gear away. Yes. Always wear ski pants. Right. Especially right. when you go up at higher elevation. Yes. You forget. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. It's yeah, the high desert here. is not forgiving. It yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people forget like basic things like take a first aid kit. You know, stuff like we that. Never do if that. you're not, no, I have that. <laughs> oh, you do? I brought oh, it every trip. There you go. Okay, I always. It, as long think. as one person remembers it, <laughs> and you hope that <laughs> they'll know for you. Yeah. Now you're really gonna have to hit it home with number two and number three of your list for the year because the first one was so good, <laughs> you had me drooling all the way the mm -hmm. whole time. Now, what's number two and number three? So number two is probably Denali. 
National Park. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah, so you're high enough up to see the Northern Lights pretty regularly. And I'm, I'm doing sort of North American ones, I guess. Gotcha. Um, although maybe number three wouldn't be. Um, but of my North American ones, sort of Denali or Banff, either one of those. And Denali is in Alaska, right? Yes. Okay. And Banff, I think, straddles the Canadian border. Yeah, if yeah. It, or maybe yeah. it's into Canada. It's close, so North right America up by 15. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, and then number three. And you can go worldwide. We have listeners in Australia, so go Southern Hemisphere. Oh, okay. Um, oh, you see, that's tough. Um, I'd probably go back to New Zealand. but hmm. Yeah, it's a goal for me. Or... I'm always, I always want to go back to um, Africa because that's what I know. So I'm going to say my number three would be a really strange volcano with the Milky oh. Way over it. So you have a strange volcano in mind or just waiting for one to present really, itself? It's the only volcano of its kind in the world. It's called Oldonio Lengai and it's a carbonatite volcano. So it actually erupts um, something that's so high in sodium, the lava, that it's about 500 degrees C. So you can literally walk Whoa. on it and it glows blue at night. What? Really? Mm-hmm. So you can imagine this blue glowing volcano with the Milky Way over the top. Would be kind oh, of cool. that would be amazing. People will critique so. my pictures. You, you totally blew it, man. That's Yeah, color. look at all the strange bacteria on the top of your mountain. Um, but yeah, so that would be probably my top one. I'm not sure I'll get there this year, but it's always been a goal. Where did you say that volcano is? Um, it's in Tanzania. Tanzania. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking Tasmania. Tanzania, yeah, in Africa. Tanzania, so that's getting towards Central Africa. Can I go to Tanzania on a whim or is it something I need to no. really plan for? Um, my... I think you may need to look into visas. Um, yeah. Most of Africa, you can rock up at the border of a country with a U.S. passport and you can get a, a permit right okay. there. Even places like Zimbabwe. Do not go to Zimbabwe on a British passport so much. Mm. Um, a little bit of history there. Thing. Oh, mm. yeah. A lot of history. <laughs> um, a lot of times you'll just need to pay a fee. Okay. Um, but places like um, Namibia very very open to tourists south africa Sweet. the same nice. you just fly in and tanzania is on my list yep cool and so yeah tanzania i think is the same malawi on a british passport's fine i believe on an american passport it's also fine okay and you say that volcano will have a regular eruption every year or it, it kind of erupts all the time oh, okay oh. so yeah, you don't have to so... plan it around a season or nope, a hope no. that it's erupting you've got to be careful because there are a lot of hyena at the bottom of there and some it's hmm. a lot of game that sort of mm. walk around to the bottom. So, <laughs> not cute pygmy skunks. No, hyena. no, no. Like mm. eat you hyenas. Well, <laughs> only if you look sick. So, so well. no limping. Don't limp around. <laughs> yeah, don't limp near the bottom of volcanoes. And there's a lot of fascinating information in there. Places I had never heard of, animals yeah. I had never heard of, and places that I didn't know should be on my bucket list. So this has been fantastic. Let's Seriously. go ahead. Let's take our last break of the podcast. We'll come back and we'll do gear time and tip of the week with Brian. Hey, welcome back, guys. We're just here with Bryony, and we are going to talk about some retro lenses that we can use for Astro. And one of the things she is recommending is an old Russian lens. So we'll talk so about I think that. Zenit, one of the things to realize is Zeiss now makes some of the most expensive lenses in the world. Yeah. There's one that's 20 grand that I'd love. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, Zenit was kind of the Zeiss of sort of Russia, I guess. Right. So the optics are really good. They're like heavy metal lenses. They're mm -hmm. beautiful. So they're not plastic bodies. No, 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 no. no, no, no. The lenses are like and... solid. Yeah. And the <laughs> 50, so I recently bought a 50 millimeter Zenit lens from the Ukraine. 
which was interesting when it arrived. They sort of wrapped it like a football. It looked very strange <laughs> when it was delivered. But it, I think it cost me 30 US dollars. And I bought the camera and the strap and everything. So if you're buying oh, the wow. lens, you can buy them really cheaply. Um, and then you can buy just an adapter for them. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of tricky to work out what adapters you need. Um, uh, Zenit lenses especially have a strange sort of code based on um, optical resolution. So from one to seven, seven being the best. Oh, okay. So it's kind of strange. So I got a M6 Helios oh. or something or M44 oh, Helios 6. And that cost right. you $40. I think, well, that was for everything though. That was for the camera as well because I want to oh. use the film camera. Oh, so I'll interchangeably use it. Mm. Um, and then the other lens I really like is a Russian Petzval lens. Petzval, yeah. I've so Lomography well. is a company that makes sort of these retro lenses and um, a lot of them are sort of Polaroid cameras and things, but they make a beautiful Petzval lens. And it's it's gold. It is bright, shiny mm -hmm. gold. It's brass. brass. Oh, yeah. it's not so awesome. Gorgeous. It is literally it's the color literally of gold. It's gold. And <laughs> the reason I got the bling one is because it cost 100 bucks more to have it in black. <laughs> so ah. I was like, I'll get the gold one. So most of the time I get asked about that. But it has yeah, aperture plates that you plug into it. So you literally control your f-stop by plug-in plates. So they are in the shape shape of the aperture's closure uh -huh. and you just you replace just the just, entire yeah. thing in. So you can and get creative and get like heart-shaped ones oh, yeah. and star-shaped yeah. So you can do the bokeh <laughs> sort of effects. Yeah, yeah I guess yeah. if the bokeh happens, you can see the shape. Yeah. Huh? yeah. And they are incredible for astrophotography because it's such simple optics and mm. because you can just have a wide open aperture. It's crazy good. I've taken some really trippy photos for this. So <laughs> Did you get kind of a swirly? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's where you're getting some of that in your Instagram shots. Some of them are really oh, those are star trails, so they're a bit different. But well, you can get. I thought I saw some like smudge like swirly that's pictures. That's probably the ones. Yeah, okay. that's that's the bouquet from the pets file. I take it down to the desert because it's kind of cool to just set up and leave. Mm. But that one's really fun. So <laughs> cool. When people are scared of sort of astro lenses in general, because a lot of them people really worry about how expensive their lenses need to be. Especially like even now, some of the sort of the more generic brands are sort of up to thousands, I yeah. think. And so people really sort of worry about their f-stop and how much they should pay to get that down as low as they can. It's fun to sort of experiment with the really cheap lenses just in case right. they actually work. <laughs> and I think anything around the 24 or 28 millimeter would be wide enough on a full frame. Oh, yeah. I mean, I even really the, good shots. I've got a Zenit 50 millimeter and I'm going to use that to take really nice photos sort of as a panorama. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's the other way to do it without a star tracker is that you could use something like a 50 millimeter and mm. get really nice clarity shots and just stitch them together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people always think, well, I have to pay for Photoshop to be able to stitch stuff together. Nope. So one of the really good programs is something called ICE, Microsoft ICE. I've seen that, yeah. And it's a beta program. It's amazing. The only reason I don't use it is because I'm a Mac person. Okay. But that's, that's in my opinion, that's the best program you can use to stitch photos. And it's free while it's in beta? Completely free. It, I don't think they'll ever change it. Gotcha. It's, it's pretty incredible. Hmm. Sweet. I think I've probably waxed lyrical about those. Well, I think everyone's <laughs> looking them up right now, so I yeah. think it's awesome. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Etsy has a surprising number of them. That's what I've oh. Etsy has a whole load of stuff. Etsy and eBay are like my go-to yeah. things. I never would have thought to go to Etsy. Etsy has business. so much stuff. It's not just weird crafty things. Yeah, I just, yeah, all I thought it was. Yeah. Nope. Lots of, lots of random camera gear is sold on Etsy. 
Okay. Let's go ahead and go into tip of the week. And Brian, what we like to do every podcast is have a tip that we can share everybody. Do you have anything that you use in astrophotography that you can consider a tip that maybe we didn't think of? Something that's unique. My biggest tip is to always carry duct tape. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. the ski pot, the ski straps. You know the ones where if you're um, taping your skis together, if you backcountry or anything. Okay. Those plastic straps. They're not like a zip tie. We're talking a plastic strap that Yeah, buckles. so there's there's loads of them on Amazon. And the best thing to do is carry a few of those because if you if your backpack breaks, if your tripod breaks, if you want to hold your camera on more safely, they're the best thing to use. Mm. I can't even picture what you're talking about. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, ski just ski straps. That's what they're ski called. Ski straps. Okay. Yeah, so when you often see them when people have their backpack and then they put their skis on and then it's the strap at the top. It's just yeah. some binding and it's... It's just a really long plastic strap that's really, really tough. And it's got a really good buckle. And because skiers Mm. are so notoriously hard on their stuff, it's brilliant for that. Mm. Nice. So I carry at least a couple of those wherever I go. And then I can pretty much fix anything with duct tape and ski straps. (laughs) Nice. Yep. That's an awesome tip. I didn't even think about those after gaffer's tape. I just think of gaffer's tape. But right. then using the ski straps would be awesome. And they're not very expensive? No, for like six bucks, I think. For, for, for like a really long, really long sort of... I, you can probably get them cheap on Amazon. Nice. Is it something that you use one and cut parts out? Or no, do you just no, use no. the whole thing and use it's just reusable? It's kind of a ratchet system on it. Oh. So that's why it's really nice. And okay. then especially if... Because if I'm sort of putting my camera on a tripod sometimes i'm a little bit sometimes we spend so much money on these cameras that (laughs) you just kind of want something extra around the camera and the tripod for Mm. for pretty much the first year of astrophotography i used a 23 dollar tripod from amazon so (laughs) so the photos i've had that have gone viral people used to ask me what the equipment i used was (laughs) and i would say a 20 dollar tripod and then they wouldn't ask anything else (laughs) They were like, well, how did you get the panorama? And I was like, I physically moved the tripod. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. (laughs) Oh, man. So there wasn't like a real gear trick there. (laughs) Nope. No gear trick. I've now got a nice tripod. So now the real secrets are being revealed. Now we get to know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the good thing about astrophotography, though. Like people think it's so out of reach because all the expensive equipment, but it's really not. There's a lot of things you can buy that are hacks for it. (laughs) That's really brilliant. That really yeah. is brilliant. Bryony, if anyone wants to follow you on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, is there a place that you'd like to point us to that we can see your work? Yeah, so mostly Instagram. Um, people are welcome to follow me on Facebook. I also post a lot of dog photos because I have a cute puppy. Um, nice. <laughs> so that's just my name. Um, but then under Instagram, my sort of Instagram name is Life of Bryce. Life so, of Bryce. Yep. So thanks, everybody, for joining us again on our podcast. Just a reminder to those who won, congrats, Josh Latham, whoever I just named. And congrats, you. We still have one more ebook code. So if you are out there interested in having this Royce Bear ebook, don't worry, because we will do another contest. But we're going to give it a little bit more time. So we'll come back in a month, and then we'll give away that last book. Cool. Thanks again, Bryony. We really appreciate all the time you've given us. No problem. Really interesting information. Yeah, I can't fantastic. believe there's places in the world that I hadn't heard about something as simple as a California island chain called channel islands yeah and pygmy skunks <laughs> i didn't know about pygmy animals on there so i'm excited to go do that yeah so worth googling as well. <laughs> oh yeah thanks again thanks everybody i hope you guys have a good week and get out there and with your camera and go and have a photog adventure of your own have a good week guys bye <laughs>